Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I'm still, I'm still appearing feminine. I'm still doing all these things, and I understand that it's a larger, it's a much larger conversation. It doesn't mean that I'm dishonoring myself. Oh, girl, you good? Someone's just sometimes casually choking. Someone's just having a cough. <laughs> you know, when uh, the truth hits you, you're like, wow. That's a lot. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Feminists Don't Wear Pink podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of essays by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm your host, Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, proud feminist and curator of our book and host of this podcast. During this season, I'm going to be talking to a group of incredible people to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman, a man or a feminist. In my opinion, deciding you're a feminist can be one of the most amazing moments and it's a word that has brought me so much joy and community as well as a lot of pain and confusion. But it's also hard to know what to do with that feminism and how to use your own power to make a difference in this world. My guest today is Chidera Egeru. We recorded this podcast live in Seven Dials at the Donmar Warehouse to celebrate International Women's Day, which my amazing friend Nimco Ali aptly named Feminist Fashion Week. If you haven't already visited Seven Dials, it's a truly authentic London neighbourhood in the heart of the West End, made up of seven interconnecting streets lined with an abundance of beautiful independent shops and restaurants. It was a pleasure to record there. I first discovered the formidable Chidera via her blog, The Slumflower. She has been described quite aptly as an unstoppable icon, and I truly consider her to be one of the voices of my generation. She started her career as a fashion blogger and has gone on to publish two books, start a global movement under the Saggy Boobs Matter hashtag, and her TED Talk on self-love is one of the best out there. Her first book, What a Time to Be Alone, is a guide to why you're already enough, and every single page of it is brilliant. One of the reasons I really admire Chidera is that her views aren't always palatable or PC. She is unbreakably herself, and whether you agree or disagree with what she has to say, the fact that she's out there saying it is a testament to her strength and unstoppable resilience. I don't agree with everything she says, but I do agree with a lot of it, and I do agree that she represents a person who has historically not been given a platform to say how they feel, and that she deserves to have a chance to share her views and enact her feminism in a way that is uniquely hers. 
I'm here today with a woman who I truly consider a hero of mine. Um, Chidera, it is an honour to have you here today. Oh, thank you. You're the sweetest. Starla. We did something the other day when we were at an event and we like introed each other. So I was yes. like, what do you do? And I was like, let me tell you about Chidera. She is incredible. <laughs> Literally, we start, I'm going to start doing that from now on. Anytime I'm out yeah. with my, my girls and someone asks me or my friend, what they do or what their name is, I'll just speak for them. Yeah, because I think you it's always, nice. whenever you introduce yourself, you're like, I do nothing. I just sit in my bed watching Netflix. <laughs> um, okay, my first question is, Chidera, are you a feminist? <gasps> yes. <laughs> Yay. I am, but I have had quite, I mean, I've witnessed quite a few conversations back and forth with people on the internet and in person where there are constant debates about what is feminism and what can someone actually do that allows them to say, I am a feminist? And for me, I believe that I am a feminist because I am committed to living a life that allows me to take my power back and patriarchy does not want that. So as long as you are rattling men and <laughs> yes, <laughs> as long as you are doing it, basically if you do all the things that men hate, I consider you a feminist. Because <laughs> Yeah, because mm -hmm. you're going against, yeah, you're going yeah. against what society wants you to do and that requires commitment, it requires tenacity, it requires courage, it requires strategy, forethought, organisational thinking. There's a lot of things that you have to do to be a feminist, it's not easy at all. No, I think that's completely right. I always say if you believe men and women should be equal, you're a feminist, but it's basically the same thing because that rattles a lot of men. <laughs> I actually I was saying earlier, I did an interview for The Independent this week and um, for some reason, I went on a very long ramble about comparing feminism to bread. Because, and it, bear with me, it does kind of work. If you, we spend all this time being like, what is a feminist? But it's just a word. And like, there's loads of different kinds of bread, but they're all still bread. And there's loads of different kinds of feminists, but they're all still feminists. Anyway, it made me look like I was a maniac, which I've just <laughs> repeated here. Um, when do you think you first realised you were a feminist? Ooh, I first realised I was a feminist when I was about 11. And I challenged my mom and I asked her, how come I'm the only one who has to wash the plates? My brothers don't have to wash the plates. Wow. And she was like, wow, you're rude. This is our culture. You're disobeying me. But I just never understood. I kept on asking, but why? But why? Because every time she would tell me, because you're a girl. And because you're a girl just felt very nebulous as mm. a response. It just doesn't mean anything. What does because you're a girl mean when you tell me to do something that you don't ask my brothers to do? I don't understand. Mm. So I kept on challenging her until she caved in and she finally made everyone wash the plates instead. But that for me wasn't even equity. True equity would have been me not having to wash and my brothers having to wash instead. <laughs> so the battle still is not over. <laughs> I love that. That's really interesting. So did she... Did your mum ever talk to you about feminism growing up? The thing is, my mum is actually the most feminist person that I know, but her feminism doesn't come from theory or any kind of academic text. It's mm. just come from the way that she chooses to live her life. And that for me was super important growing up because she's always been someone who, she loved to have her boobs out in outfits. She, like when she comes to me up from school, she'd come so overdressed. I'd be like, <laughs> why are you doing this? What, what's happening? But that was her way of really just enjoying her femininity mm. in a world that tells her she doesn't get to do that and she's not allowed to. But another feminist thing about her was I noticed how she would respond to and treat men who would try to um, chat her up 
will mm. get something out of her. She always made them useful to her. And I was like, this is so smart. So like, guys will come up to her, she's carrying two Sainsbury's bags, she's clearly busy. Guy coming up to her trying to get her number. She would just make him carry the bag for her <laughs> to the car and then just get in her car and drive off. And I was like, that's so smart. <laughs> like, if a guy's gonna that. harass you, make him carry your stuff, just make him useful. <laughs> and that for me was definitely feminist, but I can't, I don't think, I don't think her feminism is any less feminist than someone who has dedicated their life yeah. to creating theory and studying human interaction. I just feel like we, in our own way, exude feminist um, sentiments and it's up to you what that, what that looks like to mm -hmm. you as long as you are trying your best to prioritize the deeper fight, which is to abolish gender as a concept altogether. But it's not something you can do by yourself. Mm. It's something that we would have to explore through having conversations and really trying to stand up for our friends and making it less of a, less of a commitment to not getting someone's pronouns wrong, but actually trying to challenge what you've been taught that gender means so that it's less, of, it's less about not getting someone's pronouns wrong, but it's more about understanding that gender in itself is a concept that we've created to put people in boxes and to understand each other. And those boxes affect how much humanity we're offered. And if you're someone that doesn't identify with either gender, that heavily affects the way that the world perceives you and how you move through the world. And we all have a duty to try and prioritize that. So you can still be feminist in your own micro ways, but just always keep in mind what the larger picture and the larger conversation is. I love that. Thank you, Scarlett. So clever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I completely agree. And I think so often I'll hear people say like, I feel like I haven't read enough books to be a feminist. Or I, feel like I, I haven't read enough books enough. either. Yeah, and also, <laughs> and also we, all know those, <laughs> we all know those women who are inherently feminist, who lift other women up with them wherever they go, who support other women. And to me, that those things that you do every single day are so much more important than like knowing all the academic mm. stuff. Um, you are, and I've written down, you are just this force of light and strength and positivity. Oh, thank you. Uh, were you always this way? I'm really interested to know what you were like as a child and teenager. You kind of talked about how you rebelled against these things in your culture. Was that always the way you were? Do you think there was someone that influenced you to do that? So I've always been really annoying as a child. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, I'm just, I'm still annoying now. But <laughs> as a child, my way of being annoying was constantly asking why until someone can give me a tangible answer. I just really hated them because you're a girl, because the teacher said so. Like, I just wanted to know why. Mm. And I think when you grow up inquisitive and you never let go of curiosity, that is really what allows you to grow into a person who develops their own perspective through challenging things. So for me, I haven't always been um, as articulate or as confident as I am now, that confidence and the articulateness, that's not even a word, but it's a word <laughs> now, that articulateness, it really did come from me one day deciding that, wow, so you mean to tell me that even after pandering to and conforming to patriarchy, still haven't gained anything. Mm. This is so musty. I might as well just do the complete opposite. And even now, I'm not even completely doing the opposite. I'm still, I'm still to an extent pandering because, um, you know, I'm still, I'm still appearing feminine, I'm still doing all these things, and I understand that it's a larger, it's a much larger conversation. It doesn't mean that I'm dishonoring myself. Oh, girl, you good? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it be like that. 
Someone's just sometimes casually choking. Someone's just having a cough. <laughs> you know when um, the truth hits you, you're like, wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> um, when was the moment that you decided to start your blog and start putting your voice out there into the world? So that was in 2014 that I decided I want to write about things, but I have no background in English language or literature beyond secondary school. So I can write words and I can speak English, but I'm not, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not that academic guy, it's not me. But I really did enjoy talking about, based on my little knowledge, the psychology behind fashion in terms of what makes us make certain outfit choices and what does that confidence look like? That was what I was really bent on. So I would talk about, you know, body confidence um, and I would talk about just breaking barriers of fashion and just not caring because mm. when you die the world just continues spinning it's so crazy how much life continues after you're not here anymore so you just can't live your life for other people's ideas that was something that I was really passionate about mm. and so through the blog I naturally evolved into what became Saggy Boobs Matter um, which I'll talk about later. Yeah, I mean, that's almost my next question. But I think what something you said earlier about this kind of presenting feminine, feminine and whether that is bound down to patriarchy, I very much believe it isn't. And I... Really? Yeah, I mean, I, like, will spend literally an hour trying to put on jeans and a black jumper and feel so uncomfortable, and then I'll put on, like, a princess dress and I will feel like me and Same. I will feel so confident and it will take me two seconds to get ready. <laughs> and I have done a lot of thinking, a lot of studying, a lot of being like, is this just super internalised patriarchy? And I really think it isn't. And I really wow. think the way that we can express our, express our feminine, feminism is through presenting feminine, but it's not for men and it's not for the male gaze. But do you not fully believe that? Do you know what? I think my, my struggle is, because first of all, I've, and this might, I don't know, but I feel like feminism is for everybody except men. Like, I just wish there was a way. And it's, it's mm. annoying, and why I say that is because if patriarchy didn't exist, we wouldn't need to have feminism. Um, but patriarchy isn't men. Patriarchy is a system. Right. Right? Right. But the problem is that the system is upheld by men yeah. and it largely benefits them and they uphold it for that same reason. So I feel like if just, oh, it's a difficult one because they still, men naturally benefit off feminism mm. anyway because feminism aims to create a world where gender will not stop you from receiving healthy love and humanity and care and kindness and comfort and safety. You should just be able to safely exist as a person mm. and you shouldn't have to earn anybody's love based on how you appear in the world. But in terms of femininity and patriarchy, I feel like, like you said, I feel actually quite powerful when I lean into my femininity. Yeah. And, and I think it has nothing to do with the male gaze. Yeah. Men aren't very much attracted to my princess dresses, I have to say. <laughs> it's not fully working for me. <laughs> so if I was That's doing kind it, of a good if I was doing it for about. that, it wouldn't be working, so I would change turn but I'm not um, okay now before we talk about Sagaboo's matter I want to confront you on something Ooh, live on stage <laughs> um, you are a 24 year old woman who has forged an incredible career for herself by herself in 2017 you started a hashtag called Sagaboo's matter which has smashed countless stigmas and taboos around body image and liberated thousands of girls from shame not just around saggy boobs, but around race, gender, and sexuality. 
To date, your hashtag has 11,700 posts on it and you speak for free, regularly, online and offline, educating people around the world on racism, sexism, empowerment and countless other issues. When I asked you whether or not you considered yourself an activist, you oh, said yes. you didn't think you'd done enough to warrant that title. And I want to say here publicly that that is crap. <laughs> you are an activist. I've been thinking a lot about Angela Davis recently because she spoke yesterday as part of another International Women's Day thing. And she once said, we have to talk about liberating minds as well as liberating society. To me, you are the epitome of someone who's liberating minds. Thank you. And I just wanted to ask you one more time, are you an activist? Yes. Yay. <laughs> the reason why I had doubts about being an activist is because there are so many different tiers of activism. If we look at, for example, the suffragette movement, which most of us know about, there were women literally throwing themselves in front of horses to get their point across. I'm not saying that if you want to be an activist, go out there and throw yourself in front of a car. No, don't do that, not advisable, not, would not recommend. But what I think is the problem is that activism is heavily romanticized. Mm. People tend to believe that if you aren't out there marching and if you aren't you know, making posters and really getting in the way and causing visible disruption, then what you do doesn't count as activism. But I feel like that's not very helpful because not everyone is physically able to do that, one. And two, there's a whole space that is occupied, occupied by so many people at once, and that's the internet. And I definitely do believe that it's so effective to be able to reach people who you probably would never ever meet based on where you live with a message that would change their entire way of thinking. I think that is so powerful. And that way of thinking, just them seeing your tweet alone or them seeing a few Instagram posts from you, that can shift the way they view their self, which will influence the way they speak about and to other people which can then ripple and start larger and smaller movements, but everything within that is valuable and valid. But I think maybe it's because I've internalized what other people have said about me to make me think, oh, maybe I'm not an activist, mm. maybe I'm not doing enough. I'm always thinking I'm not doing enough. And that's but so that draining. To me, that is a part of the patriarchy. Like all, all women Ooh. feel like they're not doing enough. We're always constantly being like, yeah, but I'm not doing enough this and I should be doing this and I should be doing this. And actually, I think genuinely, you are one of the most confident people I know. But I think if you're a man, you'd be like, I am the greatest activist in the world. But it's just, <laughs> we get these comments and we internalize it. And you know, we all think we're not doing enough all the time. You're so right, Scarlett. I never so feel right. like I'm doing enough. This week, I've been doing so many events. All I've been thinking about is that I'm not a good enough mum to my cat. I'm like, oh my God. Your cat must be so proud of you. No, I'm like, last night I was like lying on the floor of my flat, like I left my cat at my parents' house. I'm the worst cat mom ever. <laughs> He's gonna forget about me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's insane, but we all do it. Um, okay, tell me how Saggy Booze Matter started. Yeah, so. Saggy Moon's Matter started literally, I threw this event called a block him party and mm -hmm. <laughs> it was in celebration of women who have done the obvious and the reason why I had to throw that event was because when you, when you come out of a relationship, especially with a man, you basically don't know yourself anymore because you spent that whole time being a version of yourself that's responding to so many triggers from this person and you're just in a constant fight or flight mode. So it was an opportunity for women to meet other women who have just come out of a breakup and we've just had some alcohol, we were dancing. I did a whole talk about you know, taking accountability and observing the role that you play so that you will not find yourself in this situation again because that's honestly the only way to take your power back is to just recognize what you did. 
And so during that event, I wore this really cute mini deep plunge yellow dress. And in all the photos that I took, I looked really happy and I looked really good. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to post this. But then as I was typing the caption, all I was thinking was, oh no, like people are going to really come for me. They're going to they're gonna make horrible comments about my boobs because my boobs were visibly sagging in the photos. But then I thought, why don't I just use this caption as an opportunity to actually open up a conversation about boobs and their sagginess. And for any woman who has aspirations of finding love, it's not your boobs aren't going to stop you from finding love. They're just so irrelevant to who you are. They might um, even help. Pardon? They might even help. They might even help. <laughs> So I wrote that caption and then I posted it also on Twitter with the same caption. Twitter was horrible. I really, I just, I have a very, very strange relationship with Twitter. I like it a lot, but I hate it more than I like it because that's where, that's where most of the abuse comes mm. from. Men, the repeat offenders, being all like, wow, you're, I've gotten the most creative insults. I've gotten, your boobs look like slippers. I've gotten, I know, the walls, <laughs> the walls of Jericho have fallen. <laughs> Moses parting the Red Sea, it's a lot. And I just always thought, wow, imagine if you applied this creativity to your own life, you'd actually have a tangible <laughs> career. <laughs> but here you are in my notifications, trying to take away my self-esteem, because you have none. Um, so when I saw that happening, I thought, this is the exact reason why I have to have this conversation, because men literally start foaming at the mouth when they catch a woman enjoying her existence. So I thought, well, my, my always go-to rule, like I said earlier, is if men hate it, go in 10 times harder and do it more. <laughs> so that's when I started posting more and more photos about, about my saggy boobs and captions educating people on boobs and why they don't have to be saggy and why you don't, you don't, they don't have to be perky and you don't owe anyone perky. And through that, I came across so many messages from three key groups of women. The first group was breastfeeding mothers. Second group was 17-year-old girls, 17 to 18. And the third group was women in their 40s and above. So the breastfeeding women told me that coming across Saki Boots Matter has really encouraged them to find beauty and joy in the process of feeding their child. Not many women are able to breastfeed their children for various reasons, and a lot of women want to, and they can't do that. And then the ones that are able to do that end up not enjoying the process or have people telling them they should probably not breastfeed or breastfeed their child less so they can maintain perkiness. So basically, starve your child so your tits can sit up. And I find that mentality very worrying, but it's a product of patriarchy. Then the second group, being the 17 to 18-year-old girls, said to me that, Coming across Saki Boots Malta has encouraged them to not attend the plastic surgery consultations that they had booked, which was super important for me because I am absolutely not against surgery. I don't think surgery is entirely the enemy, it's patriarchy. And why I was really elated to find that the 17 to 18 year old girls were canceling their consultations is because I feel personally that at 17 to 18 and you're trying to get a procedure like that and you don't really know yourself enough, mm it's very dangerous because it's a very life-changing or even life-ending like procedure. like if we all had to wear the same clothes that we wore when we were 17 or 18. <laughs> I don't think any of us would be very happy. Oh my goodness, right. <laughs> but it's, that's yeah, what you're doing. So I really believe in just making a more calculated and informed decision. I'm not against surgery, I'm just against making choices out of fear. And then the last group being women in their 40s and above told me that coming across Saki Boo's Matter encouraged them to leave their house without a bra for the first time in like 20 years and they felt really beautiful. And I'm like, you go, Janet. <laughs> Live your life, Janet, you go. I love that so much. Um, in the work that I do, something me and my friends say is we deal with a lot of whataboutery. 
which is basically when you're champion something and someone comes along, usually on Twitter, and what about you? So <laughs> we did a whole campaign around female masturbation, which was really fun. And what were the what abouts? Yeah, all the what abouts, like what about poverty? What about FGM? What about this? What about that? And you're like, yeah, and it's often they have good points, but if we follow that, we will all get paralysed. And you have to have different people championing all different causes. Yeah, I'm guessing, just because I know the internet, what about tree is something you deal with every day, and it's kind of which is why I doubted being an activist. Yeah, and how do you deal with those kind of comments and that kind of backlash? So for me, and the kind of backlash I get is the academics, like they go in with the backlash. Like it's like, there's cyberbullying where people they're are They're also like, not academics, they're people that have read one book. Like, I don't think there are any academics in your DMs. Like, I know academics and most of them don't even have social media. Um. <laughs> yeah, so these are the people that would literally, they would basically say things like, well, you haven't read Bell Hooks or Audrey yeah. Lord, so your feminism isn't even feminism, it's just basically classism or something like that. They just use all these new words, not new words, but they use all these big words and I'm like, okay, I, I'm trying to sift through this and get the intention of what you're trying to say here. And what I get a lot of in terms of the whatabouts is when people are saying things like, oh, well, you know, Saggy Boo's Matter isn't really body positivity because you're pretty anyway. And when you're pretty, people are going to listen to you anyway. So it doesn't count. And I'm like, well, that's... Well, if I'm pretty <laughs> and people are going to listen to me talking about the importance of women being able to own their bodies, then I'm going to have to use that as a way to get this message across because that's how patriarchy works. And unfortunately, I need to maneuver this system in order to create my own tools to bypass it. It's really complicated. It's also just so hard. And obviously, conversation is good. Debate is good. We all have really good things. But like, even we were bringing out feminists don't wear pink, all I thought about and all I was scared about was what other feminists were going to say. I was like, they're going to think it's not clever enough. They're going to think they it's not this enough. They said that about what time to be alone. Yeah, they're going to think me. it's not this enough. I, no, but I was so terrified. It was all I was thinking about. hadn't even occurred to me that anyone else would not like it. All I was thinking about was other feminists. This is a book for feminists. And when it came out, the only person who didn't like it was someone who owned a shop mm -hmm. and didn't like it and was kind of the representation of the patriarchy. And it was such a huge moment for me because it was like, oh, there's a real enemy. And actually, we're all on the same side. And yeah. we are all fighting the same battle, except for like 1% of that battle. Mm -hmm. And I think we need a better way to talk to each other without just taking each other down. It's hard because people tend to maybe talk down on you um, with their big words. Like, that's part of why, <clears throat> with what a time to be alone, I deliberately try to avoid using the big words, especially the buzzwords, because mm. when you don't understand the word, it kind of distracts you a little bit and it's quite intimidating. I just wanted something that was accessible for people and I feel like feminism also needs to be accessible. We can't all learn feminism from theory and academic texts. Some people learn it from word of mouth. Some people learn it from watching how their mothers behave. Some people learn it from literally watching debates happen on Twitter. There are so many ways you can learn feminism. A I lot of people learn it from Instagram. Yeah, I've learned a lot of my feminism from Instagram, mm. especially when it comes to the trans and non-binary community. I've learned a lot via Instagram and Twitter, and I'm even lucky, and I call myself lucky because I'm lucky to even have friends that are from that community. I just feel lucky to even know them and be able to listen to their experience. But it's really hard when people project all their expectations and their politics onto you. 
and you're expected to be this one-size-fits-all feminist who remembers all the nuance, remembers to speak for every experience, who knows all the words. But the problem is, when you speak for every experience, people then will be like, well, you don't belong to that community, so how dare you speak over or for that community? Why wasn't someone from that community there when you were saying that? Did you consult, consult someone from that community? It's just, you can't win. Mm. But feminism isn't about winning, it's about doing the right thing. And like you were saying, it's a much larger fight and we all have our own mini roles that we're playing. Yeah. And everyone's individual role does matter and it does add up to something larger. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I want to talk about race. Yes. I think white women like myself um, can fall into a really dangerous trap of thinking we understand all womanhood when actually we have a very singular privileged view of womanhood. What do you wish white women understood about black feminism and what do you think we can do better to be proper allies? Um, I wish white women understood that when black women are saying I would like to put myself in a position where I partner with someone who has more money so that when I have children, those children can have a better life and I don't have to suffer through my pregnancy or work for my pregnancy. I get a lot of white women being like, ah, why can't you make your own money? And I'm like, well, let me tell you why, Susan. <laughs> the reason why, <laughs> the reason why, Susan, is because I deal with institutional racism which means that as a black person, it's harder for me to get a job. But on top of that, I'm also a woman, which means that it's also harder for me to get a job. And there's a gender wage gap. So there's less of a likelihood times two for me to have access to the job that will allow me to make my own money. But also, I don't want to be a mule. I want to live a life where I don't have to suffer anymore. So I don't accept any kind of criticism from white women who were already probably born into a family where they've never had to um, suffer for food or they've never had to share Christmas gifts. Like they don't know what that's like. So they don't need to tell me what I should want for my life when they belong to the group that are responsible for the reason why I don't have access to the resources that I'm now looking for. Um, but what I think white women can do better is to actually, like when there are conversations being had about things like gang violence and knife crime and drugs. Everyone does this thing, and I noticed this, everyone does this thing where they talk about the people that are partaking in the situation, but no one's actually talking about white supremacy. No one wants to talk about that. So it becomes a conversation that is just going around in circles where we're all aiming for the low hanging fruit, which is the people that are the victims of the system. Mm. They actually are a symptom. They are not actually the cause. And if white people were willing to actually hold themselves accountable and recognize that doing things like when you see a black woman with big hair like a man, you're like, oh my God, it's so fabulous. And then touching it, stuff like that. Very exhausting, very draining, don't want to hear it. But when it's a black person, it's like, <gasps> oh my God, you're so fabulous. Yeah. Oh my God, I guess. Like, don't yes me, don't do it. Yeah. Um, you touched on this earlier, but you speak a lot online about dating and money. You're working on a book that I'm very excited to read, which might be about that. Um, and I think you voice things that so many women are too afraid to say yes. or to hypnotise by the patriarchy to say or sometimes even to think like I think a lot of what you say when women are hearing this it's the first time they've even let themselves think this um I'm a single lady yeah and I love it I was literally alone for seven years from the age of 17 to, or 14 17 because I was too scared to leave the house um but I still love being alone and sometimes I start thinking I should date and I should get out more because 
then people will think that's normal that I'm dating and they'll stop asking me if I have a boyfriend and they'll stop asking, like, looking sad when I say that I don't. <laughs> what, I'm kind of just using this as a therapy session, but what would yes. your advice be to me on that and to single women in general, all women in relationships? So as someone who is also single yeah. and it's genuinely out of choice, um, it's because for me personally, and all offense intended to the men in the room, I just don't find men that interesting, like for me to... <laughs> no, because the reason why I say that is because I'm yet to meet a man who, who's interesting enough for me to leave my house for free. That's how I feel. I'm like, I know so many, I have no time to see my friends. If I have a night and I spend it on a date with a man, I get so angry because I'm like, this was makeup and an outfit. And That's I why I don't go friends. on free dates anymore. And this is going to enter controversial anymore. territory. I'm like, do I want to tell my views about dating? I talk about it on my Twitter all the time. So I'll give you like a little snippet and you're going to leave flustered as hell. But basically, so my new thing now is because I'm so comfy on my ones, I love my solitude. My house is a very comfortable environment and I work all the time. The only time I get off is when I'm, well, the only time I, I get f off from work is when I'm able to like hang out with my friends. So it means that any other time that a man wants me to spend with him, he has to really make it memorable mm -hmm. for me. So that will include, you know, you're gonna have to definitely send a card to my house <laughs> for me to leave. Yes, I'm not gonna, do you want me to stand on the central line to in my heel? <sighs> so you're gonna send the card to my house. That's number one. I'm not going to meet you in a coffee shop. We're not doing that. I have coffee at home. I'm not leaving my house. <laughs> no, I'm not leaving my house of coffee. Why would I leave my house of coffee unless we're going to a business meeting? It's not a business meeting. So you want to experience leisure at my expense. Well, we're not doing that. So this car is definitely going to Mayfair. <laughs> you can choose the restaurant. I am definitely not paying for the food because I could have been at home. I could have been at home. I wouldn't have to spend anything. I could have been at home, mind my business, relaxing. You said you'd like to get to know me. So similarly, if I'm out on a meeting and these um, people who potentially want to work with me want to get to know me, they tend to cover the bill because they've made me leave my house to experience a conversation with them. So the same applies to you, sir. So that has to happen. It needs to be memorable and I decide if I want to see you again. That for me is my standard. Those are my standards and those standards don't harm anyone. But the reason why it's seen as quite like controversial is because people tend to hold this belief that you know love is the most important thing in the world love over everything and for me i love myself and i have really fruitful and wholesome friendships and i just don't feel like love from a man because i'm attracted to men so love from a man doesn't feel superior to me it doesn't feel like anything that i'm losing out on and um, i feel like i'm a very beautiful young person so i have so much room and time to explore various relationships i don't feel like um, dates have got to be this like interview that hopefully ends in marriage like I just want to have fun and experience life but not at my expense I'm not paying for it because why oh my god I exist in a world where make men basically are the reason why I can't go for walks at night you have to pay for my f I need something <laughs> I need something are your standards uber Lux, uber x or uber pool <laughs> my standards are Addison Lee <laughs> <laughs> So definitely Uber Lux. I'm still definitely only at Uber Pool. I need to get more confident. I hear you. Confident. Only when I I'm on my own. Yeah. The reason you're amazing is because I don't. I'm coming at all of this and coming at being single from a place of extreme low confidence. But following you and hearing what you say, even though I, you know, came at it from a place. I I genuinely I think one of the reasons I was single for so long is because I thought I was like 
literally if someone was to go out me, it was going to be a burden on them because I thought I was so crazy. I thought I was so not right. And I think seeing you and the way that you talk about this has genuinely made me think about dating in a completely different way. So even if like not everyone in the audience is as confident as you, mm. I think there are so many things of what you say that everyone should take in because I see so many of my friends who are so confident and so amazing and have so many friends and then go out with the worst guys just oh, because they I've, are so I've been that grateful to have someone like them. And I think I've had that thing where I'm like so grateful that people like me that I forget my taste, I forget who I want to go out with, I forget anything. I just am like, thank you. Thank, thank you for choosing me. <laughs> my roommates are so hot and I'm so gross and thank you for picking me over them. <laughs> no, do you know what I really do? Year of my life. <laughs> Honestly, I used to also be in that same place where I felt like I would be a burden because this is mm. pre-therapy where I just thought I'm going to be crying all the time. Yeah, I, I thought my mental person. health was a burden on people. Yeah. I still do a lot. I used to be that person who would just start fights out of nowhere. And the deeper reason behind me starting fights was because I was looking for reassurance. Mm. And that was because of how I was nurtured as a child, which is a whole different whole backstory. But it's really cool. Once you learn attachment theory, you're gonna learn so much yeah. about your current relationships and your past relationships and how you behave in relationships. So basically my attachment style is anxious, preoccupied, um, which means that basically, um, I tend to be quite uncomfortable with someone being intermittently like in my life. So when people tend to ghost me in and out, that really rattles me. It just sends me like, I just depart from my body and turn into this dragon. I'm like, why are you disappearing on me? You found someone more interesting. I don't understand. Um, that, that used to be me before I got therapy and got my life together. And I found that the reason why I was like that was because it was this whole idea that I didn't believe that I was worthy of love and I just mm. felt like I had to force it out of people. We've talked about before about the hate that you get online. Um, yes. And makes me so angry. I mean, I've, I think you get <coughs> 10 times more of it than I've ever gotten. I, but it is insane and I think sometimes people don't understand. We had, um, I ran it at Feminist's Instagram account for the book and we had to ban the words kitchen sandwich <laughs> and in charge from the comments because we would get hundreds of comments every day saying make me a sandwich get back in the kitchen who's the man in charge and it was like these catchphrases and they said them over and over and over and over again and it's absolutely mad how do you handle still getting that stuff and continuing to put yourself out there well the thing is i only ever like out of all the hate comments that i get the only ones that i consider giving my attention to other ones from women because I find them the most hilarious. The ones, I don't, I, I really don't really interact with men that much anyway. I just make it a part of my self-care is just really just minimizing the amount of time I spend talking to men because it really does great away my mental health. But when I get hate comments and they're from women, it's often the people that are so I don't hang out with girls. I hang out with guys. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like girls are their own worst enemies. <laughs> like, why can't we all just get along? This is why I think guys are better, because guys know how to form friendships better. It's just like more chill. It's just way more chill. <laughs> and 
And like, you're totally asking for it if you go out at night and you're wearing booty shorts <sighs> with heels. Like, why would you go for a walk at night? I don't understand what you're looking for. Please, someone pick me. Please, someone, anyone. No? Wow. Those are the kind of people that I get my notifications. And I, I, I tend to sarcastically speak like them to them so they can see what they're doing. And it's always hilarious because I literally have to perform what I just did now like to them for them to realize, oh, my behavior is a bit weird. Um, but I do find internalized misogyny very, very, very fascinating. And I mm. think that's within feminism, that's our biggest stumbling blocks. The fact that we all have a certain amount of internalized misogyny that we have to work through. I um, grew up wanting to be one of those girls that only had guy well, friends. the ones that had guy friends? Yeah. I was that girl who had guy yeah. friends. I was like, Sunday is so cool. I've just like, I've been here like hanging out with guys. I've got brothers. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, but you just reminded me of something. So I meet a lot of women who say things like, you know, I just feel like we're just so hard on men. I have a son and I have brothers. I'm like, look, you're talking to someone who has two brothers, yeah? Best believe I don't care because <laughs> I literally do not, it doesn't, that information holds no value to me because if every woman was like, you know, I have a son, I have a brother, we can't be mean to men, then that means that we're not going to have feminism because every man is related to a woman anyway. Every man came from a woman, so you can't be doing the whole, there are men that I like, therefore not all men are bad, when it's not even about the not all, it's about... The patriarchy. Oh. It's so annoying. It's, that's our biggest stumbling block in feminism. Yeah. People are like, not all men. Like, you really want to protect the nice guys, the 1%, you want to protect the 1% who are not even harmed anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> I think back to internal misogyny, it's very real. And I think you're right, that is where a lot of the hate comes from. And I think, do you, how do you fall on the spectrum of like going at it with love or going at it um, with? For me, I don't really find it easy to be loving to someone who mm. is literally insulting me. I'd rather just scroll past. But um, I go at it with sarcasm. Sarcasm works a lot yeah. because we can both have a laugh, but you don't know that we're both laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> We're in, I think we're in a really interesting phase of the feminist movement. I think things are, t I'm just moving on from the men. Um, and I think things changing really quickly and I think it's really exciting. Where do you see things going in the next few years? Um, I'm actually quite optimistic. I think there are a lot more women who are taking their power back now mm. and they are implementing that in their everyday lives. And I think I'm really excited to see a world where more women just do it your way and you don't wait for someone else to tell you that you're doing it the right way just do it your way and that will allow you to have more power over your life we all deserve to have a lot more power over our lives and i also think the real world happens in a culture like black panther wouldn't have happened without black lives matter mm. all these things that we're seeing would not have happened without black lives matter the change doesn't need to be legislative or in a law or in a thing it can be in like a culture yeah, and I think it's really important that you said that because a lot of people, including myself, had that idea that it just wasn't enough until yeah. I changed the law. It's not enough until, you know, women can leave the house at 11 and not get murdered. But it's not realistic for it's me not, to put the expectation on myself that. in this lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what's... I did some organising with Black Lives Matter in America and that's what's amazing about them. You know, they talk about this idea of activism as a form of science fiction, because you're building a world that doesn't exist yet. Yes. And you're having to imagine a world where black people might be equal, where women and men are equal. And it's, it's imaginative and it's, it is, it's science fiction. A world literally. of equality is a dystopian universe. That's crazy. Like, like we literally kind of have to imagine it. it. Yeah.
But we're doing it. We're yeah. literally doing you're it right doing now. It. We're creating that world by being in this room. You're part of something really important because you're going to have conversations. You might not have them today, but some of the values and sentiments you've heard today or that you're going to hear from other people in this room will carry through in how you think. And that is the change. Mm. I completely agree. My last question is, no. I know. Um, what is one lie you've been told about what it means to be a man or a woman? Oh, one lie I've been told about what it means to be a man or a woman. I think the lie I've been told about what it means to be a man or a woman is that women are emotional, immunological. <laughs> well, that's not the case at all because have you ever, have you ever like after a man has sent you a paragraph just sent K and see how he responds? Like, I find it quite interesting that... Um, also from the other side of it, I think one of the problems with the patriarchy is we don't let men be emotional and they mm -hmm. should be and they are. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Something I've noticed this week is a lot of men are scared about speaking about feminism that they're going to get torn down or criticised. And the thing I would say is you're not. And we, you know, we're friends with a guy called Jordan. He talks about feminism all the time. He's, everyone loves it. He's great. Like, get out there, join the fight, talk about it. People won't smash you it's down only gonna be other guys yeah which is again that's the problem like yeah. it's only going to be guys that are going to be like oh you're just doing it to get chicks so basically is what you're saying because i see that a lot on the internet where men actually do some men yeah. do speak up for women and they actually are bolstering up the voices and some men are like well you're just doing that to get some pussy and it's like well no actually yeah. and if you think that then it means what you're trying to say is that i conditionally care about another person so you're really revealing your intentions which yeah. means that men have a lot of work to do amongst themselves and i am not contributing and to i that. also think if they're only doing it to get laid we'll notice pretty quickly right like, like leave that to us because there are yeah. still some you know wolves in sheep's clothing even within the feminist movement when no, there are men i've met a few of them yeah but it honestly i think if if men speak up the feminist movement will embrace you. You just have to take that Always, always, always. You just have to do the work. Yeah. Like it involves less speaking, more working. So that means, you know, taking the time out to really like have difficult conversations mm. with your guy friends, like really be willing to abandon certain relationships. If your guy friend is an abuser or if you witness your guy friend catcalling someone, like you have to have those difficult conversations because if it's difficult for you, imagine being a woman and a feminist. Like it's never gonna be as hard. It's just never gonna be as hard. Mm. Love that. Okay, <laughs> I could literally talk to you all day and I kind of want to, but I think our time is up. Oh no. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You're amazing, me. you've taught me so much. If you don't follow you down on Instagram, it is a university degree in itself following literally you. Literally, my so social amazing. media is you, at the slum flower. Yeah, you give up your time and it's thank incredible. Thank you, Scarlett. Um, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to Don Ma for letting us chat on your stage and not read Shakespeare or anything like that. This is probably <laughs> the lowest form of art they've had in here. Um, and of course, thank you to Seven Dials, who have hosted a week of the most incredible activities. And if you haven't checked out any of their other stuff, it's amazing. And they've been the best people to work with, and it's been so much fun. Yay! Okay, thank you. You've been listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, hosted by me, Scarlett Curtis. The book is available everywhere books are sold and 10% of every copy goes to the UN charity Girl Up. It's also available as an ebook and audiobook read partially by me if you prefer to listen.
If you liked this podcast, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast and it helps us reach people who might not think they're feminists. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a feminist. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.